Hallelujah. Why don't you put your hands together again? Give God the glory, the praise, and the honor. Hallelujah. Are you thankful today to be in his presence? There's a lot of different places that you could be, but you're here in your right mind, and you're here in the house of God, worshiping and praising him. There's no better place that you could be than right here on a Sunday morning. There is no better life than to live for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful to be in his presence this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'll give you an update on Rosarito after we read our text this morning. Uh, but if you have your Bibles and would care to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter number four, beginning at verse number one. I want to say a priv how much a privilege and an honor it is to be back home. This is, this is home to me. I was able to uh, go back to my old stomping grounds at Cal State Bakersfield this past weekend, and some memories and some things began to come back to my mind, and, and London asked me if, if it's different or if it's weird uh, being back home, and I didn't really have an answer. She had, she had an answer, obviously, um, but I didn't really have an answer. I guess I'd never really thought of it, coming back home, all of the feelings, the memories, all of the things that, that you remember, the routines and places you went, um, but it's good to be back home. It's good to, to be with people that uh, are like-minded and believe in what is going on in the kingdom, and I am thankful to be a part of a church family that uh, encourages young men, encourages elderly people, encourages young married couples to do something for God. Don't just sit around and wait for somebody else to do it, but take it up yourself and go do it. And I'm thankful to be a part of a family like that because where would we be if somebody had not come to the city of Bakersfield and began to dig out a work? Where would we be? There's no telling where we'd be. Amen. And so I want to read from Genesis chapter number four, beginning at verse number one. We'll read uh, a number of scriptures, uh, and I promise I won't keep you standing for too long. Verse number one says, And Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass. This is probably uh, a number of years. The Bible says that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. In other words, sin desires you, and if you're not careful, it will knock, and it will come through the door, but you've got to be willing to conquer it. You've got to be willing to overcome the sin that knocks at the door. Verse number eight, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? Very famous phrase in scripture, my, my brother's keeper. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. I want to preach just for a few moments this morning from this topic, the blood crieth out. The blood crieth out. Are you thankful for the blood this morning? Are you thankful for the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary for you and I that we would be able to come into this place and we would be able to lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting? We could be doing many different things, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are here in the presence of the King. And I'm thankful for it. I wonder if there's anybody thankful this morning if you would just begin to thank God 
and you would begin to just tell him how much you are so thankful for the blood that he purchased your life. Why don't we do that together? Just lift up your hands and lift up your voice and begin to say, Jesus, I thank you for your blood. Hallelujah. Why don't you put your hands together? In the fear of the Lord, you can be seated. Amen. I'm thankful for the blood. I just want to, before we get into uh, the, the message today, I want to give you all a, a brief update about what is going on. I don't want it to be lengthy, but I want to give you a good report. It is my, uh, it is my goal and my desire that every time I come back home that I have something good to say. Uh, because it can be uh, very lonely at times and feel like you've only got bad things to say. But I've come with a good report this morning. Amen. We had about 34 people in service this past Sunday. We consistently have just around 30 people that come to service every Sunday morning. Uh, we only have 40 chairs, and so we're, we're having to figure out what's going to happen if, if more people come. Uh, we've been outreaching, and, and there's a real sensitivity and a real hunger in the city of of Rosarito. Uh, we were walking around uh, the other day around a market, uh, and because we are a, a bilingual church, uh, we offer something that not many churches in the area offer. Uh, and so we were just communicating, talking with this lady, inviting people to church. Uh, and she said, I, I need a church, but I, I can't just go to a Spanish church because I speak Spanish. Uh, and I don't know a whole lot of English, but my daughters don't speak Spanish. And so I can't find a church that I can go to and receive something, and my daughters receive something as well. Uh, and we're believing, I'm believing, that in the future that God is going to begin to plant seeds in the city where we are, that, that people that are hungry, I don't want people that, that don't desire the kingdom of God or don't desire the things of God, but I want hungry people that come into the house of God that say, you know what, I don't care what this looks like. I don't care what it is, but this, this thing that I feel, I've got to have it. Hallelujah. And so we've been outreaching on Saturdays, and, and we've, we've been having people come. We had three first-time guests uh, last week. Uh, over the course since I've been here last, three people have gotten the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's exciting. And the really exciting thing is, is the person, one of the people that got the Holy Ghost is in fact my translator. And so now my translator has the Holy Ghost. Yeah, that, that really helps. Amen. But people have been coming. Um, and the unique thing about where we are, where we're positioned, uh, because of our proximity to the border, uh, we get a a mix of different people that come to church or that are in the area uh, because Tijuana is one of the largest, uh, one of the busiest land border crossings that there is. Uh, and so we've got, just in Tijuana, not in Rosarito itself, but we're 15 minutes away, uh, there's Ukrainians, there's Haitians, there's Nigerians. Anybody that is trying to flee their country and come to the States, many of them come to, to Tijuana so that they can cross uh, we had a man come to church a couple of weeks ago. His name was Jean-Pierre. Uh, he had three names, in fact. One was Jean-Pierre. He's a Haitian man. Uh, his English name is John Paul, and his Spanish name is Juan Pablo. He's got three different names. He's a Haitian. He doesn't speak English or Spanish. He speaks French, and so now I need a French translator. Amen. <laughs> and so things are happening. Uh, when we get home, I've got two people that are waiting for me to get home to be baptized. One of the young men came home. He's the first one that received the Holy Ghost. He came home from the States a couple weeks ago and said, I, I feel the need to be baptized. And, and so we're going to baptize him next Sunday. There's another lady that just has been in a Bible study. And she said, you know what? I've received the revelation and I want to be baptized in Jesus name. And so next Sunday, we're baptizing two more people, that would, which would be a total of five people since we've been there that have been baptized in the name of Jesus, that have been washed by the blood for the remission of their sins. Sins. It still has power. It doesn't matter if it works here. It still works over there. This power that we have named the name of Jesus Christ is a powerful thing. Amen. There's an expression in Spanish that I use frequently because it's one of the only ones that I know. So when I lead worship, I say, 
probably three different phrases, unfortunately, because I don't know any other phrases. And one of them is, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is still power in his name. And we believe that because it says that neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm thankful for the power of the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what language you speak. But the power of the name of Jesus can touch you wherever you are because his power or his name has power hallelujah why don't you put your hands together amen amen so that is that is this week's report of rosarito amen we'll talk more about it tonight uh, i'm sure but we read in genesis chapter number four we read a a very famous passage of scripture it talks to us about these two brothers one brother's name is abel and the other brother is named Cain. And scripture tells us that Abel was a keeper of the flock. Cain was a tiller of the ground. These are two of the most primitive skills that we read about, known to man. These are the two very things that men have always been able to do. They've been able to be a shepherd, and they've been able to work with the ground. In the process of time, likely many years, as I mentioned, they bring forth a sacrifice to God. Abel brings forth the first of his flock. Bible says he brings of the fat thereof. It was a fatted calf or a fatted sheep. Cain brings of the fruit of the ground. He brings God fruits and vegetables. And this is where the Sunday school story begins to take a turn. And I'm, I'm sure that we are all familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. But I want to begin to point some things out today that hopefully will help you wherever you may be. We understand the meaning of this offering. We know that in the Old Testament and in Scripture, the Bible says that there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22 says, And almost all things are by the log purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. The very first sacrifice in the Bible was in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 21. After the fall of man, God calls Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He asks them where they are. And it says, unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin, and he clothed them. Those skins and those coats didn't just come from anywhere, but those coats were animals that were that were slain, that were sacrificed, so that there could be a covering for Adam and Eve. They were naked. They didn't have anything on their body. And they recognized it after the fall of man that we are, we are being exposed to the world and we've got to have something that covers us. And so Jesus gives them that. He gives them a coat of skin. And a blood sacrifice is not explicitly mentioned. We're not told that, that Cain and Abel were forced or had to give a blood sacrifice, but we understand that the shedding of blood is for the covering of our sins. Abel brings forth a sheep. Cain brings forth fruits and vegetables. And if you think about this just in a common sense uh, frame of mind, you just begin to think about it. Hindsight's always 20-20, I guess. But, but if you're to bring forth a sacrifice to God, uh, the last thing you would think to bring, in my opinion, would be some vegetables. This does not seem like God is going to be very happy with this. And if I'm being honest, if someone was going to make me food and I go over to somebody's house for dinner and they bring out just vegetables, I'm, I'm going to be asking, where's, where's the meat? Where's the carne asada? Where's the adobada? I need to know where the meat is. And so he brings forth these vegetables and these fruit from the ground we're not told what the condition of the sacrifice is. We don't know if it's the best that he's got. We don't know if they're, they're brown and bruised bananas, the bananas that nobody wants. We're not told. All we're told is that in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says that Abel had a more excellent sacrifice. He had a more excellent sacrifice because it was an offering of sacrifice through his faith. He has the faith to believe that I'm going to give this sacrifice unto God it's the very best that I have. I could use it for so many different things, but I'm going to give the best that I've got to God. 
And that should be our mentality when we come into the presence of God. Not that we give God the brown bananas, that we give Him the very worst of things, but we want to give God the very best of everything that we have. When I step into the house of God, I don't want to come into the presence of God with my head hung down because I've been discouraged and I'm depressed, but I want to come praising and worshiping God because He's done so much for me that I cannot tell the greatness of His manifestation. I've got to come with worship, and I've got to come with praise because He's done too many good things for me just to allow myself to hang my head. Cain fails to deal with this problem. There is a tension. God is is frustrated with Cain. He's mad. And Cain is, is upset with God. He's angry back at God. And so we've got this interaction where Cain is, is frustrated and God is frustrated and God just tells him, if you would just obey, if you would just do what I've asked you to do, but if not, sin lieth at the door. Sin desires to have you, but you've got to be willing to conquer it. You've got to be willing to stand in the face of sin and defeat and say, you are not going to have control over me. You are not going to be able to, to, to just put whatever you want upon me, but I'm going to conquer you. And he fails to deal with this. And in his anger, he goes out into the field where they are working. It's not specifically told what field it is, if it's Cain's field, if it's Abel's field, but he slays his brother. And if we are not careful, we can begin to take our own fear and our own anger, our own disobedience, and we can force it upon other innocent people that never even deserved the pain that we have put them through. And our rage clogs our ability to think And we begin to slay innocent people with our own hands because we're upset at God. Cain was never upset at Abel. The Bible never says that he was frustrated with him. I'm sure he was jealous. But the Bible never says that Abel did anything wrong. But because of his frustration and his anger with God, he decides that the right thing to do is to slay the thing that is in competition with me. That is not the kingdom of God. That is not the will of God. We've got to be willing to take what is crouching at the door, the sin that is lying at the door, and we've got to be willing to say, you know what, you are not going to have dominion over me. Now is not the time that you are going to do this. Now is not the time to walk out on God. Now is not the time to be in limbo, but now is the time to be obedient to the things of God. Now is the time to be plugged into the things of God because sin shall not have dominion over you, but you shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. I wonder if there's anybody this morning that has a testimony that can say, you know what, there's a lot of things that are in my way, and there are circumstances that have begun to hurt my mind, but I'm not going to slay my brother. I'm not going to do anything against my fellow friend, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to step into the house of God and say, you know what, God, forgive me of my sins, for my trespasses are in the way of my walk with God. We are not meant to live in fear. We are not meant to live looking at our brother wondering when the time to kill him really is. The Lord speaks to Cain. He tells him, where where is your brother? Cain sarcastically responds. He says, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where my brother is. I don't know where he is. I'm I'm not his keeper. God says, Cain, what have you done? Because the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Something began to happen as the blood of Abel began to leave his body and it began to flow into the soil at the feet of Cain. Something in the heavens began to shift. Something in the supernatural began to to take place because here is innocent blood being shed by the hands of a man that is jealous and angry. And God is trying to figure out what in the world is going on. He's working in the field. And here an innocent man who doesn't deserve what has just happened is being slain in the field. Much like the first son of Adam, Cain. He slew the second son of Adam, Abel. And the blood began to cry out unto God. We as humanity, we are the first Adam. You and I, we are sinful creatures. It was in the garden that Adam made a decision that 
cast us into sin. But when the second Adam came to earth, he came into our field of labor. He came into the place that we are plowing the ground and we are trying to watch over the sheep. He was working in the field of the first Adam. And he was slain and he was crucified where we are to be. And so just like the sons of Adam, the first Adam slew the second Adam. And he was crucified and he was slain on the cross. And his blood began to drip down that cross. And it began to go down into the soil. But something began to happen as that blood dripped into the soil. It began to cry out unto the heavens. If Abel's blood is innocent, then God's blood is innocent. If Abel's blood can cry out, then how? How much more does the blood of Jesus Christ cry out unto us? How much more does the blood of Jesus have power? How much more powerful is the blood of Jesus Christ? And as believers, you and I have the opportunity because the blood that was shed when you are sick in your body and when turmoil has come against you, when relationships fail you, when your marriage is falling apart, all you've got to do is just plead the blood of Jesus. If you just lift up up your voice and say, God, I plead the blood. <laughs> Hallelujah. I wonder if we could just lift up our hands right now and just begin to plead the blood. If we would just begin to speak it out and say, God, I plead the blood. I plead your blood. Hallelujah. If you've got lost family members, now is the time to just begin to plead the blood. If you've got sin in your life, now is the time that you can begin to just plead the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood is greater than sickness. The blood is greater than pain. The blood is greater than cancer. The blood is greater than every addiction. Just plead the blood. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't allow the enemy to walk all over you. Don't allow the enemy just to tell you where you are and place you in a box. But there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is dominion in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is power when we call upon that name. And when sin comes against us and it's crouching at the door, all we've got to do is say, I plead the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Numbers chapter 35, verse number 33 says, So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. Unjudged murders, murders of innocent blood, God hates that. Murders of people that don't deserve it, God, defi God says it defileth the land. It defileth the land. They curse the land while the blood enters the soil. The only justice for this kind of blood is if the man that causes the shedding of blood is killed. It means the only way the ground is atoned in this story is through the blood of Cain. Cain is the only one that can cleanse the ground. Cain is the only individual that can remove the curse because it's got to be his blood in the ground. The blood of Abel enters the ground at the hands of Cain. Only Cain can fix it. Genesis chapter 9, verse number 6 says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God made he man. But the Bible tells us that God marked Cain. It says that he, he gave unto him a mark. We're not told if it's a, a physical mark. We're not told if it's, if it's a limp or if it's a, a birthmark or what it is. But it says that the man that kills Cain, the curse will be seven times stronger for whoever it is. So we find that this curse of Cain, who is once a tiller of the ground, his seed does not bring forth strength and fruit anymore because of the blood that he shed of his own brother. But the person that kills Cain that curse is seven times stronger. The land could not be cleansed of the murder. For years, the land would remain uncleansed by the hands of Cain. But there would come a man by the name of Jesus Christ, who was the second Adam, and he would come to atone the sin of humanity. The Bible says the land that was defiled, it has to be cleansed by some blood. 
Acts chapter 20, verse number 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The land that could not be cleansed by Cain would be purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. The very soil that Abel's blood would begin to run into, Jesus would begin to stand upon a cross and would begin to atone the blood of Abel for each and every one of us. That means that the sin that you and I have committed, the only way that it can be removed is if we just begin to plead the blood. If we just begin to call upon the name of Jesus and say, you know what? I can't do this on my own, but I've got to plead the blood. I've got to have you, Jesus. I've got to have you in my life. There is nothing that you can do but plead the blood. Jesus took the place of humanity because if this was the case, every sin that we committed, we would have to be responsible for it. We would be the ones that would stand in the courts and would say, you know what, you're going to have to face the consequences of this murder and you're going to have to stand and you're going to be the one to die so that this land can be cleansed. But Jesus manifested himself in the flesh He made himself in the form of a man. He became the perfect sacrifice so that we would not have to die from our sin. He gave us the power of the blood and you and I have been washed by the power of the blood when we were baptized in the name of Jesus because there is power in water baptism there is power in the name of Jesus and when the name of Jesus is applied to your life in a baptistry you have the ability to begin to call on the name of Jesus because the name has been applied to your life and so this means in any turmoil and in any circumstance amongst every turmoil that has come against you if you just begin to cry on the name of Jesus and you begin to say I plead the blood from my babies I plead the blood from my family I plead the blood from my city that means that God has to hear your cry that means that he hears exactly where you are and he hears the cries of your people if his people and that is you and if you just call on his name he's got to listen to you He gave unto us a power that nobody else could give unto us. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no remittance of sin. Without the blood, there is not eternal life. Life everlasting would not happen if it was not for the blood. But it is with the blood that you and I have a future that you and I can stand at the door and say, sin, you are not crossing into this place because I have a name that is applied to my life that is greater than any other name. You have no power over me. There is nothing that you can do to hurt me because I've got the power of the blood working on the inside of me. And if I just plead the blood, if I just call upon the name of Jesus, the Bible says that sin has to remove and it has to remove hence and it will flee you, but it's through the power of the blood. We have the power to plead the blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. We've got a mediator here in the house of God that his name is Jesus Christ. Some call him Alpha and some call him Omega. Some call him Jehovah Jireh. Some call him Omnipotent. But what we know is his name is Jesus Christ. And if we just begin to pray unto his name, all things are passed away and all things have become new. If we just begin to cry out unto God, I've come to tell somebody today, if you just begin to call upon the name of Jesus, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how bad the circumstance is. If you just begin to call on the name of Jesus. Demons will flee at the name of Jesus. Blinded eyes are healed at the name of Jesus. Deaf ears are healed at the name of Jesus. But you've got to call on his name. You've got to be willing to lift up your voice and say it doesn't matter what it sounds like. I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus. If you need the blood this morning, Jesus has already covered your life. Being buried in the water, being buried in his blood applies his name to your life. 
whatever the turmoil may be, if you're suffering with pain, if you're suffering with things at home that that you don't even want to bring to the house of God because you're so embarrassed, I've come to tell you that God can touch you right now, that God can plead the blood, that if you just call on the name of Jesus, that things can begin to happen in the supernatural that you don't even know is happening. And when you begin to call on the name of Jesus, that blood that he shed on Calvary is beginning to drip down into the soil and the blood is crying out on your behalf if you just begin to call on his name. I know it may sound repetitive, but but the message is when the blood cries out, if you just call on his name, the blood will speak for you. If you don't know what to say, if you just call on the name of Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. I have somewhat of a problem with this scripture. Not in a bad way, but just I've got a problem with it. Bible says that Adam is the representative of you and I. He is the man that was chosen to live in the garden. That's not fair to me. Because he's the man that cast us into sin. And I want representation. You and I, we live in a democracy. We want what we've got. We want our vote to count. And when it doesn't count, we protest about it. Because we want our voice to be heard. And in this verse of scripture, the Bible tells us that Adam became the representation for you and I. This is not fair. Because Adam doesn't speak for me. Adam doesn't think like I think. Who knows, if I was Adam, maybe I wouldn't have sinned. But I want my own representation. Because this is not fair to me that that because of one man, all of humanity is cast into sin. But Adam is the representation of sin for all of humanity. This is not fair. Because through sin we get death. And through death there's pain. There's tragedy and there's turmoil. You and I, we are subject to the fall of man because of the sin of one man. But if you believe in this and you understand the concept that Paul was writing to us in Romans, Adam being the representation of sin for all humanity allows there to come a second Adam by the name of Jesus Christ. And so when we stand in line behind Adam and we see that he has been doomed and he's been cursed because of his sin, all we've got to do is we can just step into the other lane with the second Adam because the second Adam came to atone the blood of you and I. He came to take the sin of you and I so that you and I wouldn't have to answer to our sin, but Jesus Christ would stand upon the cross and would take the blood and would take the sin and would take the pain and the spit and the turmoil that he would take your sin and it would begin to run down his eyebrows and into the soil because the blood would begin to cry out unto him and say there's a generation of people that have to understand the power of the blood. There's a generation of people that have to understand there is still power in the name of Jesus. They don't have to do it on their own. They don't have to do it by themselves, but they have somebody with them that is a mediator between heaven and earth, and if they'll just call on thy name, if they'll just call the name of Jesus and plead the blood. I can begin to help them. Why don't you just lift up your hands right now and begin to say, God, I'm so thankful for the blood. I'm so thankful for what you did on Calvary. I'm so thankful, God, by your power and by your ability. Hallelujah, Jesus. Even though we judge the first Adam, Without the first Adam, there would be no second Adam. If there was no sin in the earth, you and I would not have the opportunity to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We would not have the opportunity to receive an opportunity in the inheritance of eternal life. Without the first Adam, there is no 
second Adam. There is no Jesus Christ. There is nothing, none of this. We don't get to have this kind of opportunity if it was not for the sin of the first man. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 45. So it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The second Adam was made a quickening spirit. First Adam is you and I. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. If you're alive this morning, that's you. If you're dead this morning, that, that may not be you. But you and I, we are living souls. The Bible says that the first Adam was a living soul. He was made a living man. It says the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. So the living soul is humanity. You and I, musicians, you can come. We are subject to gravity, whether we want to believe that or not. As we age, things begin to, to change, and we begin to take on a new form. We're still the same person, but we can't do things that we used to be able to do. And if you get around an elderly group of people or not-so-young people, you begin to listen to them. I'm watching it, trust me. You begin to get around them. You'll begin to hear things. And so as a young man, I can't understand because I don't suffer the same things that they suffer with. And I can't understand some of the things that they talk about because I don't, I don't understand those things because gravity and laws haven't, haven't taken place on me yet. And so I am, I am waiting. But we are humanity. These things are, are given to us whether we want to believe it or not. But the Bible says that there was a quickening spirit in the last Adam. And this is a problem for me because I'm not a quickening spirit. I am a, I'm a person, I'm a human, I'm a living soul. I don't have the ability to have a quickening spirit. This is just not something that is innate within you and I. We cannot do that. But the quickening spirit, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, not humanity, but it was a spirit that began to dwell inside the man of Jesus Christ, that when he was resurrected into heaven, he said, I'm going to send you a spirit. And I'm reminded of a verse of scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse number 11, if the spirit of him that raises up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. We don't have an opportunity to be a quickening spirit because we operate on a different playing field. God operates vertically and you and I are horizontal. This is not how we live, but if we just begin to have a powerful move of the Holy Ghost, if we call upon the name of Jesus, if we plead the blood, His Spirit can come down into this place and we can begin to feel it shifting in the atmosphere. I thank God for the Holy Ghost that gives me an opportunity at eternal life. I couldn't do the things that I do if it was not for the power of the Holy Ghost. I wouldn't be able to be in the place that I am if it was not for the power of the Holy Ghost that quickens my mortal body that begins to give me ability that I can't do on my own and you ought to be thankful because there are situations in this place that you can't do it on your own and there's no way that you can even be possibly capable of doing some of the things that you've got to go through when you leave home today but if you just begin to plead the blood the Holy Ghost can move in this place and can give you an understanding of what it takes to plead the blood of Jesus Christ if you just begin to call upon the name of Jesus there is a quickening spirit that begins to flow from the inside of you and I that is called the Holy Ghost I want us all to stand I thank God for the Holy Ghost I thank God for the power of the blood I thank God for the ability when things don't go my way and when I'm in my own feelings and, and I want to say, God, how could you ever do this to me? Why would you ever send me to a place that I can't even understand the language? But if you just begin to call upon the name of Jesus, 
if you just begin to call upon his name and say, you know what, I plead the blood, there is a quickening spirit that begins to happen and it begins to change the atmosphere because it reminds God of when he stand, He was standing upon the cross and the blood that was gushing from his side began to run down into the soil and it began to atone the sin and the pain and the hurt of Abel. God stand in the way, stood in the way of Cain. He was able to stand in the way of a man that got away with murder. He got away with something that was egregious. But you and I don't have to answer to that. You and I have the ability to just lift up our hands and say, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't do it on my own. And so by the sin in the garden, a tree cast us down. A tree made us a sinful creature. Sin cast us down into the pits of hell. It was through a tree. But on Mount Calvary, God stands upon a tree. And he begins to atone the blood of Abel. The innocent blood of you and I. Not knowing where we are going to be. Not knowing what we are going to do. He atones the blood of family members that are not in this place. He atones the blood of your family. That you begin to cry out and say, how could it ever happen? How does it ever happen like this? They begin so good. But we find that not everyone wants to take the journey. But there's got to be a young man and there's got to be a young woman. There's got to be a mommy and a daddy that begin to say, it doesn't matter what it looks like, I'm going to plead the blood. I'm going to cry out for my babies. I'm going to cry out for my marriage. It doesn't matter how bad it gets if I just plead the blood of Jesus. I know that he can take my place. And I know that he can fight my battles. I wonder if you could just lift up your hands and lift up your voice. These altars are open. If you want to come and plead the blood, if you've got lost family members that you know, they need to receive something. There's no way that the blood can help. But if you begin to plead the blood for their life, the blood can begin to speak for you. That in the very same field that they were slain, God is atoning the blood this morning. God is atoning the blood this morning. Why don't you just cry out to God? I plead the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Remind him of the blood that he shed on Calvary. Remind him of what he did on Calvary. If you just begin to plead the blood of Jesus, he can hear your cry and he can hear your voice. He wants to hear you cry out unto him. He wants to hear your voice. Hallelujah, all across this house. No spectators in this place. I want you to lift up your voice and begin to plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood over my family. I plead the blood over my depression. I plead the blood over my sickness. I plead the blood over cancer. I plead the blood over everything. Hallelujah, if you believe he's able, I want you just to lift up your hands. Lift up your voice in faith. Give God a sacrifice that he has to respect and he has to answer to. Hallelujah.
ask God, if you believe that the blood of Jesus Christ can cover every situation, amen. I know there's situations in this place. We should make a move to this front, and we should pray about those situations, and we should pray that God covers. Amen. If you need healing, his blood is able to cover you. It's by his stripes that we are healed. If there has been a mark that has been left because of failures and difficulties, his blood is able to cover that. If you're praying about situations and circumstances, his blood is able to cover that. And so before we leave the house of God here today, we need to bring situations and people and circumstances. Hallelujah. We need to let the blood cry out from the ground because there is power in it. It may be that the individual may not step forward and make the conscience effort on them themselves. It's a decision that they have to make. But one thing we do know, there is power in the blood that is able to cleanse, wash, renew, heal, redeem. praise God. Come on, church. Step out of the stinking pew that you're in. Walk to the front and lift your hands and say, I know I've brought this before you many, many times, God, but I'm, I'm coming today with faith, believing.